European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance. Volume 44, Issue 5. Focus Issue, Heart Failure and Cardiomyopathies. By Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea. Read to you by Morgan Bryan. Epidemiology and Treatment of Acute and Chronic Heart Failure. This issue contains three viewpoint contributions from our Year in Cardiovascular Medicine 2022 series. The Year in Cardiovascular Medicine 2022, the top 10 papers in heart failure and cardiomyopathies, authored by Johann Bauersachs and Rudolf de Boer. The Year in Cardiovascular Medicine 2022, the top 10 papers in arrhythmias, authored by Harry Kreins, Pierre Lombiers and Prash Sanders and the year in cardiovascular medicine 2022, the top 10 papers in cardio-oncology, authored by Jörg Herrmann, Teresa Lopez-Fernandez, and Alexander Leon. I'm sure that the readers will find this series extremely useful. Indeed, in each contribution, the authors, who are editors of the European Heart Journal, summarize and comment on the 10 game-changing original manuscripts published in 2022 in a specific field of cardiovascular medicine. This issue continues with a focus on heart failure, or HF, and cardiomyopathies. The choice of myocardial revascularization in stable patients remains controversial. In a fast-track clinical research article entitled Surgical or Percutaneous Coronary Revascularization for Heart Failure, an in-silico model using routinely collected health data to emulate a clinical trial. Suraj Pathak and colleagues from the University of Leicester in the United Kingdom note that the choice of revascularization with coronary artery bypass grafting, or cabbage, versus percutaneous coronary intervention, or PCI, in people with ischemic left ventricular dysfunction is not guided by high-quality evidence. A trial of cabbage versus PCI in people with HF was modelled in silico using routinely collected healthcare data. The in silico trial cohort was selected by matching the target trial cohort, identified from hospital episode statistics in England, with individual patient data from the Surgical Treatment for Ischemic Heart Failure, or STITCH, trial. Allocation to cabbage versus complex PCI demonstrated random variation across administrative regions in England and was a valid statistical instrument. The primary outcome was five-year all-cause mortality or cardiovascular hospitalization. Instrumental variable analysis was used for the primary analysis. Results were expressed as average treatment effects or ATEs with 95% confidence intervals. The target population included 13,519 HF patients undergoing cabbage or complex PCI between April 2009 and March 2015. After matching, the emulated trial cohort included 2,046 patients. The unadjusted primary outcome rate was 51.1% in the cabbage group and 70% in the PCI group. Instrumental variable analysis of the emulated cohort showed that cabbage was associated with a lower risk of the primary outcome, ATE minus 16.2%, 95% confidence interval, 
minus 20.6% to minus 11.8%, with comparable estimates in the unmatched target population, ATE minus 15.5%, 95% confidence interval, minus 17.5% to minus 13.5%. Patak et al. conclude that in people with HF, in silico modelling suggests that cabbage is associated with fewer deaths or cardiovascular hospitalizations at five years versus complex PCI. A pragmatic clinical trial is needed to test this hypothesis and this trial would be feasible. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Bernard Gersh from the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine in Rochester, Minnesota, USA, and David DeMetz from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, Wisconsin, USA. The authors conclude that the results of these trials will not be available for several years. In the interim, the totality of evidence supports the role of cabbage as the preferred treatment in patients with ischemic cardiomyopathy, but with the caveat that this only applies to patients who are good surgical candidates, as defined by age, comorbidities including frailty, and, after informed joint discussion, patient preference. In patients judged to be poor surgical candidates, PCI is a good alternative for the relief of anginal symptoms that limit the quality of life, but current data would not support the recommendation for PCI in the expectation that this will improve survival. Albuminuria is common in patients with HF, and associated with worse outcomes. The underlying pathophysiological mechanism of albuminuria in HF is still incompletely understood. In a clinical research article entitled Albuminuria as a Marker of Systemic Congestion in Patients with Heart Failure, Eva Boersma and colleagues from the University of Groningen in the Netherlands evaluated the association of clinical characteristics and biomarker profile with albuminuria in patients with HF with both reduced and preserved ejection fractions. A total of 2,315 patients included in the index cohort of the Biostat CHF were evaluated, and findings were validated in the independent Biostat CHF validation cohort, 1,431 patients. Microalbinuria and macroalbinuria were defined as a urinary albumin-creatinine ratio, or UACR, greater than 30 mg per gram of creatinine and greater than 300 mg per gram of creatinine in spot urines, respectively. The prevalence of micro- and macroalbinuria was 35% and 10%, respectively. Patients with albuminuria had more severe HF, as indicated by inclusion during admission, higher New York Heart Association functional class, more clinical signs and symptoms of congestion, and higher concentrations of biomarkers related to congestion, such as biologically active adrenomedulin, cancer antigen 125, and N-terminal pro-brain natriuretic peptide, or NT-pro-BMP, all P being less than 0.001. The presence of albuminuria was associated with increased risk of mortality and HF re-hospitalization in both cohorts. The strongest independent association with log UACR was found for log NT-proBNP, P being less than 0.001. Hierarchical clustering analysis demonstrated that UACR clusters with markers of congestion 
and less with indices of renal function. The validation cohort yielded similar findings. Boursma et al. conclude that in patients with new onset or worsening HF, albuminuria is consistently associated with clinical, echocardiographic and circulating biomarkers of congestion. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Nicola Riccardo Pugliesi, Stefano Tardi and Stefano Marsi from the University of Pisa in Italy. The authors conclude that there is convincing evidence that albuminuria is a solid risk marker in HF, but we need more data to better appreciate its role, especially in HF with preserved ejection fraction. We must also look for causality before considering albuminuria as a therapeutic target in HF. HF is typically highly prevalent in the elderly, while its prevalence in the young is less investigated. In a clinical research article entitled Epidemiology of Heart Failure in Young Adults, a French nationwide cohort study, Emmanuel Lecoeur and colleagues from the Hôpital Européen Georges Pompidou in Paris, France, note that HF in young adults is uncommon and changes in its incidence and prognosis in recent years are poorly described. The incidence and prognosis of HF in young adults, 18 to 50 years, were characterised using nationwide medico-administrative data from the French National Hospitalisation Database, period 2013 to 2018. A total of 1,486,877 patients hospitalised for incident HF were identified, including 70,075, or 4.7% of patients aged 18 to 50 years. Estimated incidence of 0.44 per mila for this age group. During the study period, the overall incidence of HF tended to decrease in the total population, but significantly increased by approximately 0.041 per mila in young adults, P being less than 0.001. This increase was notably observed among young men, from 0.51 per mila to 0.59 per mila being less than 0.001, particularly those aged 36 to 50 years. In these young men, ischemic heart disease, or IHD, was the most frequently reported cause of HF, whereas non-ischemic HF was mainly observed in patients less than or equal to 35 years old. In contrast to non-ischemic HF, the incidence of IHD increased over the study period which suggests that IHD-related HF is progressively affecting younger patients. Concordantly, young HF patients presented with higher rates of traditional IHD risk factors, including obesity, smoking, hypertension, dyslipidemia or diabetes. Lastly, the rates of re-hospitalisation for HF or for any cause within two years after first HF event and in-hospital mortality were high in all groups, indicating a population with a poor prognosis. Le Coeur et al. conclude that strategies for the prevention of HF risk factors should be strongly considered for patients under 50 years old. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Maria Schaufelberger and Carmen Basig from the University of Gothenburg in Sweden. The authors conclude that everything must be done to stop the increase of HF in young adults. To do this, 
It's important to make both the profession and society aware of the ongoing HF epidemic in young adults. It is well recognized that sodium glucose cotransporter 2, or SGLT2 inhibitors, improve the outcomes of HF. In a clinical research article entitled, Empagliflozin, irrespective of blood pressure, improves outcomes in heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. The Emperor Preserve Trial. Michael Böhm and colleagues from the Saarland University in Germany sought to evaluate if systolic blood pressure, or SBP, modulates these effects. The association of SBP and the treatment effects of empagliflozin in Emperor Preserved, empagliflozin outcome trial in patients with chronic heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, were evaluated. Randomized patients, N equaling 5,988, were grouped according to SBP at baseline. Less than 110 millimeters of mercury, N equaling 455, 110 to 130 millimeters of mercury, N equaling 2,415, and greater than 130 millimeters of mercury, N equaling 3,118. The effect of empagliflozin on blood pressure, cardiovascular death, or HF hospitalization, primary outcome, total HF hospitalizations, and rate of decline in estimated glomerular filtration rate, or EGFR, were studied. Over a median of 26.2 months, the placebo-corrected decline was small and not significantly different across baseline SBP. On placebo, the risk of cardiovascular death or hospitalization for HF was 8.58 events per 100 patient years at greater than 130 millimeters of mercury, 8.26 at 110 to 130 millimeters of mercury, and 11.59 at less than 110 millimeters of mercury, p equaling 0.12 versus greater than 130 millimeters of mercury, p equaling 0.08 versus 110 to 130 millimeters of mercury. There was no evidence for baseline SBP moderating the effects of empagliflozin on risk of HF events. Primary endpoint interaction, P equaling 0.69. Recurrent HF hospitalizations interaction, P equaling 0.55. When comparing empagliflozin with placebo, SBP did not meaningfully associate with adverse events such as hypotension, volume depletion, and acute renal failure. The authors conclude that in Emperor Preserved, empagliflozin is effective and safe without SBP meaningfully moderating empagliflozin's treatment effects. This analysis of Emperor Preserved shows that empagliflozin can be used safely and effectively without blood pressure being a meaningful moderator of the drug benefit. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Kian Doherty and Pardeep Jahund from the University of Glasgow in the United Kingdom. Doherty and Jahund conclude that the analysis by the Emperor Preserved investigators adds further detail to the picture of SGLT2 inhibitors and blood pressure in HF. In this case, we find ourselves welcoming the failure of the glyphlosins to influence blood pressure. As we have seen in this analysis and others, it is clear that in patients with HF, the SGLT2 inhibitors have no significant clinical effect on blood pressure. 
It is hoped that this finding will help reassure clinicians about the remarkable safety profile of these drugs and ultimately lead to more patients receiving these prognosis-improving drugs. In a clinical research article entitled Combining Loop with Thiocide Diuretics for Decompensated Heart Failure, the Chlorotic Trial, John Carles Troyas and colleagues from the Hospital de Lota y Camarcal de la Garrocha in Spain evaluate whether the addition of hydrochlorothiazide, or HCTZ, to intravenous furosemide is a safe and effective strategy for improving diuretic response in acute HF, or AHF. This was a prospective double-blind placebo-controlled trial, including patients with AHF randomised to receive HCTZ, or placebo, in addition to an intravenous furosemide regimen. The co-primary endpoints were changes in body weight and patient-reported dyspnea 72 hours after randomization. Secondary outcomes included metrics of diuretic response and mortality stroke rehospitalizations at 30 and 90 days. Safety outcomes, changes in renal function and or electrolytes, were also assessed. 230 patients, 48% women, 83 years, were randomized. Patients assigned to HCTZ were more likely to lose weight at 72 hours than those assigned to placebo, minus 2.3 kilograms versus minus 1.5 kilograms, P equaling 0.002, but there were no significant differences in patient-reported dyspnea. Area under the curve for visual analog scale, 960 versus 720, P equaling 0.497. These results were similar 96 hours after randomization. Patients allocated to HCTZ showed greater 24-hour diuresis, 1,775 versus 1,400 milliliters, P equaling 0.05, and weight loss for each 40 milligrams of furosemide at 72 and at 96 hours, P being less than 0.001. Patients assigned to HCTZ more frequently presented impaired renal function. Decrease in EGFR greater than 50%, 46.5% versus 17.2%, P being less than 0.001, while hyperkalemia and hypokalemia were similar between groups. There were no differences in mortality or rehospitalizations. The authors conclude that the addition of HCTZ to loop diuretic therapy improves diuretic response in patients with AHF. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Rosita Zachary from King's College London, United Kingdom, Selma Mohammed from Crichton University, Omaha, USA, and David Wilson from the Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust in the United Kingdom. The authors conclude that chlorotic is a welcome addition to a limited evidence base for combination diuretic management of AHF. It shows that HCTZ, an inexpensive thiocyte diuretic, is a safe and modestly effective addition to loop diuretic therapy in patients with AHF and volume overload. The HF community now finally has randomized data to support loop thiocyte efficacy in AHF. The issue is also complemented by two discussion forum contributions. In a commentary entitled, Left Atrial Volume and Left Ventricular Mass 
a pulmonary capillary wedge pressure assessment with cardiovascular magnetic resonance. Accurate enough for clinical use? David Genovese and colleagues from the University of Padova in Italy comment on the recent publication Cardiac magnetic resonance identifies raised left ventricular filling pressure. Prognostic implications. By Pankaj Garg and colleagues from the University of Sheffield in the United Kingdom. Garg et al. respond in a separate comment. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will be of interest to its listeners.